your seats, your seat. Thanks for that introduction, Gray. Very kind. Let's open in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this body of Christ gathered here this morning. And I pray for the hearts that are in the room to be returned to you, to be re, to be seeking you again, to be reminded of the righteousness that we have in Christ given to us as a free gift. Lord, no one came here to hear from me. Rather, we want to hear from you this morning and your word. So I pray that that would be very present. In the name of Jesus, amen. Some of you might have heard of the German-American psychologist named Eric Erickson. It's a strong name. His parents really like doubled down there on that, on that name. Um, he's best known for his research on human development and how, as, as we, we come from a child to an adult, how we develop along, along that path. And, and he divided the life cycle of, of a person into eight stages. And he said at each stage, there is a fundamental question that we are asking when we are in that particular stage. For example, his first stage is ages zero to two. So that's an infant. An infant is asking the question, you know, in so many cries, I guess, can I trust the world? That's the developmental question of a zero to two-year-old as they cry out for mom and dad and mom and dad come to them and comfort them again and again and again. They're learning whether or not they can trust the world. But the last of Erickson's eight stages is age 65 to beyond. It's the, the, fi the final years, the final chapters. And the question that he believed we would ask in those final years of life would be this question. Was it okay to have been me? Was it okay to have been me? And Erickson called this final stage ego integrity versus despair. That meaning... Uh, in psychology, that term ego referring to a self-esteem or self-image, either finding a foothold in integrity, being able to look back on your life and see a completeness, a wholeness, a goodness that came out of it, or the inverse of that, which was ego despair. Guilt, dissatisfaction, disappointment, brooding over us. And if we're not able to answer the question, was it okay to be me in a way that we would want to, Erickson was warning that that may very well end in despair. Well, that's a theory from the world of psychology, but I think we see this idea also played out in the world of art. This question of being okay, this question of being good. 
One of my favorite songs uh, is a song called Colombia, after the South American country, Colombia. Uh, not Colombia, where I'm from in South Carolina. Probably haven't heard of it, but that's where I grew up. <laughs> Colombia. I love this song because the, uh, it's by a band called uh, Local Natives, so some of you might know them, but it doesn't matter. Uh, listen to these words as the song winds down at the very end. You can hear what the lead singer is saying. These are the final words of the song. Patricia, every night I'll ask myself, am I giving enough? Am I giving enough? Am I giving enough? Am I? Patricia, every night I'll ask myself, am I loving enough? Am I loving enough? Am I loving enough? Am I? Who is Patricia in this song, Columbia? Well, Patricia is the mother of the lead singer who died in 2011. When this song came out in 2013, you can hear in the lyrics the time spent in those two years in which the singer confesses that he has often laid in bed at night wondering, am I doing enough? Am I loving enough? Pleading with his mother, also pleading with himself, am I living the life that you thought that I would lead? And I think whether we're 65, or in those final stages Erickson talked about, or not, or if we've lost a loved one recently, or we haven't, this question of, am I okay, is still a question that comes up for us again and again and again. And for many of us, we don't like the answer. This morning, the scripture that we have for us, uh, it's in your bulletin as well, is, is from Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to read it in a minute. Um, I think this passage in Romans speaks very deeply to the question of, am I okay? Am I good? Are things right? I don't think Paul uses those words. I mean, I know he doesn't use those words. He doesn't use the word okay here. But he does use the word righteousness several times. Let's go ahead and read this, this passage now. I'll read it for us. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
I think this passage speaks to the idea, to the question, am I okay? Despite Paul not using that language exactly. Now, I, I am in some danger right now of, of losing several of you at this moment because I've just said the word righteousness a bunch of times. I've also read a passage that uses the word propitiation, forbearance, redemption. And these words are not used very often outside of our Bible. So I understand right now that some of those words are like, I'm kind of wanting to shut down because I don't even have categories for what you're referencing. For me, I tried to think about righteousness in particular, like where do I see that outside of the Bible? And the only thing I could think of was like some surfer kid being like, that's righteous, man. Like something like that. <laughs> that was the only thing I could come up with. So we don't really use this word in our culture and that's kind of outdated. Like kind of fits right in with tubular. Just put it on the shelf. We're done with it. Uh, that's slang. That's slang. But the key to understanding righteousness really is in the word itself. It starts with the word right. Rightness. Uprightness. This is the idea that Paul has in mind when he's using this word for us this morning. So, someone who is righteous is someone who does what is right, and they are in right standing with, with men and with God. Righteousness also has a justice dimension to it as well, meaning that the actions and the character of the person who is righteous, they're appropriate. What they're doing is appropriate. What they're doing is wise. They are doing the right thing at the right time to the right degree. Right, right, right. <laughs> Righteousness embodies this sense of rightness. It's good, it's correct. And I think the question, am I okay, comes from a lack of righteousness. Comes from a lack of being right. Feeling right. Not right in your opinions, but as a person. So what I'm proposing to you this morning and what I really want to persuade you of is that when Erickson, the psychologist, said, was it okay to have been me, what he's really getting at is, did I live a, in a right way? Was my life done rightly? And the singer on the song Columbia is asking every night, am I doing right? Is it what my mother would have wanted? Is, am I living rightly? So the question of am I good, am I okay, that we all ask, it's triggered by a feeling of a lack of rightness, of righteousness, and goodness that needs to be gotten. I think that's what we're feeling. Well, if we would want to acquire this righteousness, if we would want to get what Paul is talking about here when he talks about a righteousness that's now manifested, appearing apart from the law, if we would want to get that and be able to settle in our minds the question, am I okay? Then we need to identify with Paul two things that he says we do wrongly when we try to pursue righteousness. There are two ways in which we go about making ourselves right, making ourselves okay, making our lives okay, that are wrong. They do not progress us in that direction. 
and yet we return to them again and again. I want to talk about those two uh, ways in which we do that, and then we're going to walk with Paul through the way that we do attain righteousness and answer that question, am I okay? The first, the first thing that we do to make ourselves okay is we try to establish a law for ourselves or a framework that we live in which kind of va- validates our goals and uh, sets us on a path to being okay. So we, we ask the question, am I okay? The answer is no. It's like a flow chart. Am I okay? No. Okay, what do I need to do to fix it? And immediately we're going through diagnosing ourselves. Let me give you an example. A scholar that I'm thankful for is Brene Brown, and a lot of you probably know her, seen her TED Talk on vulnerability or read one of her books. She is a research professor at the University of Houston. She's written a lot about shame, what makes people feel ashamed, what makes people feel unworthy of love. Listen to these examples from her book, the ways in which we feel not okay. She's going to use the word worthy, but it's, it's on the same wavelength. Here are things we tell ourselves, laws we establish for ourselves to get okay. I'll be worthy when I lose 20 pounds. I'll be worthy if I can get pregnant. I'll be worthy if I can get, stay, or stay sober. I'll be worthy if everyone thinks I'm a good parent. I'll be worthy when I can make a living selling my art. I'll be worthy if I can hold my marriage together. I'll be worthy when I make partner. I'll be worthy when my parents finally approve. I'll be worthy if he calls back and asks me out. I'll be worthy when I can do it all and look like I'm not even trying. You hear the if and whens in these honest thoughts that people have where we put this checkpoint in front of us, that's my law, that's what I'm going towards, that's going to make me okay. And if we can just get to that point, everything will be right. That is the state of righteousness that these people in this book or these examples are hoping for, whether it's a good marriage, good parenting, staying sober, any of these things, that's the, that's the ideal. But the heart of Brene Brown's message, and she doesn't, um, um, she's she's spiritually minded, but she doesn't turn to the the Bible for the final authority on this. Here's what she says, and this is in keeping in many ways with with what the Bible says. This is her response to those, those things. I'll be worthy when. She says, worthy now, not if, not when, we are worthy of love and belonging now, right this minute. Does that sound like Paul? But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested, apart from the law. Worthy now. Paul says, but now, presently. Paul's saying, the righteousness you're looking for has appeared, and it's available, but it's not through deeds and works. 
When we diagnose ourselves and try to fix the problem we think we have, we're already on the wrong track. So here's an image for you for what Paul's talking about when he's saying a manifestation, the righteousness of God is a manifestation. Uh, it was like rainy. We stayed with uh, Shannon's parents in Goodyear, and it was very rainy. And I had been working on this sermon in the afternoon. I wanted to like clear my head. The rain went away. The sun came out, and I wanted to get out in the desert, just leave kind of the neighborhood and walk out in the desert. So, a couple of us walked through a wash and out into this open desert, out of the suburbs. And it was really nice, like smelling the brush, collected uh, quartz, I think it is. I spent some time Googling that, but couldn't identify if that was quartz or not. We think it was quartz. It's a whitish, kind of glittery rock. It's like, eh, uh, it's fine. Well, we're walking around in the desert, collecting quartz, looking at brush. It's, it's beautiful out. And we look up and we see along the White Tank Mountains this pillar of rain and dark, dark clouds. It's been raining for three days and it looks like, great, it's going to rain again. Here it comes. Those people are experiencing that for real. We will soon. This peaceful, serene desert, all in full bloom, we're standing there. And there is this manifestation, this swelling up, this appearing of rain off in the distance. And this is what Paul is saying to us this morning when he says, but now the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law, out of the desert where I am in that moment. When I'm making my own law and saying, if I can just be a better dad, then I will be okay. Paul's standing with us, our arms full of quartz, and he's saying, that's the righteousness of God. It's being manifested over there. It's not where we are as we create our lives to be. We need to get it. It's not by the normal way we, we think it comes. And how, how do we get it? Paul, Paul tells it uh, us in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So it's by faith. But but Paul keeps going, and he brings us to our second point about another way in which we try to make ourselves good. We try to make ourselves okay. And he makes this claim near the end of verse 22. For there is no distinction. For there is no distinction. The first way we try to get righteousness is we make our own law we think if I get here, if I do this, if I do that, then I'll be okay. But the second way, or a shortcut, to try to get right, get okay, is by making distinctions. And I call this a shortcut because it involves little to no effort. I know this from my own experience. It is merely comparing ourselves to others in an attempt to place ourselves somewhere where we are right. And honestly, we probably all did this even as we came into church this morning, even if it was to a small degree, although I'm sure there are people who did not. Maybe you noticed and compared people's cars or noticed and compared people's clothes, compared kids. How are they acting? Are they good? Are they not good? Are they cute? 
They're all cute. Spouses, how's that marriage going? On time or late? Warm handshake or disinterested? It's a really ugly game. It involves making assumptions about other people, stereotyping others, not giving people the benefit of the doubt, all for a shot of self-esteem so that we could, in our minds, place ourselves just slightly above someone else, just in this one way, just in this one area, and find ourselves a little higher up so we feel better. But this is contrary to what Paul says. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short. That is why there is no distinction. No one has an edge and no one has an angle. And it's here that Paul gives us our other problem, and it's our sin problem. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we have these problems that Brene Brown mentioned. They are very real, and they're what many of us keep us from feeling okay. I look back at this list, I see weight loss, staying sober, getting pregnant, my marriage, successful in business, at work. Basic, these, are, these are basic things. These are life problems, but the issue actually goes even even deeper than that. Because behind, in in many ways, behind the issues presented here, we have self-control issues. We have selfishness, selfishness issues. We have issues of lacking contentment and wanting too much. Issues of pride. And ultimately, we want to make ourselves the king of our lives decide what is right and the direction that we will go, and we do not submit humbly to God. We don't ask God, God, you made me. What would you have me do? We go our own way. It's a sin problem. So how do we get okay? If, everyone's not on the, if everyone is on the same level, No distinction. All in equal need here. All equally needy. As Paul says, and all have sinned and there is no distinction. And if we cannot get right by our law or standard, hey, I'm trying here, then can anyone answer, am I okay? Or are we going to despair? Let's revisit the text. I'm going to pick it up again at the distinction. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. To be received by faith. So how can we be okay? How can we be made right? How can we get this righteousness? Paul told us in verse 22, righteousness of God through faith for all who believe. 
Paul told us in verse 24. All are justified. That means made right. Justified is made righteous. All are made righteous by his grace as a gift. How? Through Christ Jesus. Paul told us in verse 25, Christ was put forward as a propitiation in his death by his blood to be received by faith. The righteousness we need has been given to us as a gift in Jesus Christ. To who? All who believe in faith. That's it. Faith in Christ. I I don't think I'm, I mean, I'm probably, you know, could be like, I'm not going to write a book on what I'm saying here because I'm not qualified to do that, but I don't think I'm reading Paul wrong here when he says so clearly, this is what righteousness is coming from. I think a lot of us as Christians, we, we become a Christian and then we actually kind of go back to what Brene Brown's talking about, where we like create this, this is what a Christian should be and I need to live up to this now. And it's no more freeing than when you weren't a Christian. You're in the same situation. Is, is what Paul's saying true? I think it is. But... I feel, I felt danger again here because, you know, I said propitiation in public and now I'm talking about receiving something by faith and you might be thinking, how does that work? What you're talking about, what Paul's talking about, receiving righteousness by faith, how does that actually work? Is this something practical I can use? Or are these just words? Words that are just complicated airflow. It sounds nice. It's complicated airflow. Nothing more. Well, there is a helpful story in the Old Testament that really illustrates what faith is and what it might look like to have faith. That's the avenue Paul is saying to get righteousness. So that's what we want to do. We want to have faith. Show us how to have faith. Well, in the book of Numbers, we won't turn there, um, but in Numbers chapter 21, there's a very short story. I looked back at it, and I was surprised how short it was. It's only six verses long. And it talks about a moment when the Israelite people, being led led by God via Pur, led by Moses through the wilderness, they are at a camp, and they are impatient, and they want more water and more food. And this is what they say to Moses. You and God brought us out here to die. Is that what you're trying to do? Are you trying to kill us? And in response to their grumbling and their impatience and their doubt of the God who delivered them, Uh, God sends snakes into the camp to bite people. <laughs> it's a uh, scary uh, story. I haven't seen that movie, Snakes on a Plane, but I was like, I wonder if I watched that, I had like, a better idea of what this was like, except the camp, snakes in a camp or something. Um, sounds scary. So, snakes are biting people, people are dying, it's a bad scene. You hate to see it. And... The people come to Moses and they say, 
we were wrong, should not have said what we said, been impatient with you, and doubted God. Go pray to God for us that this would stop. And Moses goes and prays to God. And God gives Moses a really weird command. He tells him to take a pole and take some brass, melt it down, make a snake, stick the snake on the pole, and then plop it up in the camp. And anyone who's bit from that point forward, they can look up at the snake and be healed. They will live. The venom will have no effect. They will be fine. And then uh, there's really no follow-up in, uh, in Numbers 21. It just kind of says, and then they, they kept moving. So resolved. Done. Very short story. Very str- honestly strange story. <laughs> but I love this story because thousands of years later, when Jesus is doing his ministry, a man comes to Jesus and asks him similar questions to what we're asking this morning. Questions of faith. The spiritual world. Faith. How do I have faith? And this is what Jesus says to him. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now you may know this next verse. Jesus continues, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the correlation in what Jesus is talking about? As Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For God so loves the world, he gave his only Son, whoever believes in him. Jesus is comparing himself to the brass snake on a pole, where if people looked at it, they would be saved. And that's the act that we want to zoom in on, is if you've been bitten by a snake, You could rush to a tent for medical supplies. You could do something else. I don't know. But the act of turning to look at this snake, which God has provided for you as a way of salvation, that requires faith. Not a ton. (laughs) Might as well give it a shot, I guess. But it requires faith. And it requires humility to accept what God has given for you as a way out. And this is what Paul is saying here when he says, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward in his blood, in his death, to be received by faith. This is the work of God. God has done all that needs to be done by sending his son to die. The death we deserved. And we turn to him now in faith. And when we're able to, when we turn our heads to trust that he is our savior, and he has made us right with God, that's what Paul's talking about is the answer to the question, am I okay? Are things right? Your faith is in Christ. However small, you are right in God's eyes, in your creator's eyes. This is the manifestation of righteousness, and that's where it is. So we talked about needs this morning and needs we have where we want to be, have good marriages and success. All of that is real. And it's not wrong to want those things and seek those things in the Lord. Certainly not wrong, many of those things um, at all. But the fundamental need, Paul's addressing the fundamental need. 
When we're asking, are we okay? Am I right? That's coming from a place of needing righteousness and needing to be right with God. It's not actually about your marriage. That's the, ba- the baseline is the righteousness of God, redeemed by God. And God sees me as his child. So, none of us need to lay awake at night wondering if we're doing enough because God has already done the work and all he has required is faith. We don't need to add anything to it. And when we, when we approach the end of our lives and the question comes to us, when we think over our lives, was it okay to be me? You'll be boldly able to answer yes because you have been redeemed in Christ. Circumstances may change, your needs may change, but the question of was it okay to be me The answer is yes, because God made me and he redeemed me and he saved me. It's all the work of God making us right with him. That's the righteousness we need. So I'm going to close in prayer.